And yes, God, we do say yes today. We believe. From the east to the west to the north to the south, we believe. From way up in the balcony all the way up to the chancel, we believe. From the east wing to the west wing, front, back, young, old, we say yes. We say yes because you have given us a glimpse of who you are. You have given us a glimpse of real life. And so today, we ask that in these moments, you would deepen our belief. You'd make it real. You'd take what's real and make it more real. You'd take what's strong and make it stronger. We love you. We thank you. And we say yes. Amen. We believe. We have just sung and praised our heart out with that incredible affirmation. It's a beautiful affirmation. And yet it also poses a question. In whom do we believe? And how strong is our belief? It's easy to believe when uh, they discover a mass and you pray about it and you go and get the test and the results come back and it's benign. That's powerful. It's easy to believe when you pray for God to send someone in your life And you have that dream date, and it becomes a relationship, and you're indeed sitting with that person now. It's easy to believe. It's easy to believe when we set goals and achieve them. It's easy to believe when we pray prayers and they're answered. It's easy to believe when everything is working out. It's easy to believe when the people we love grow more lovelier. (laughs) It's easy to believe when those we are drawn to and connected to stay with us. It's easy to believe when there's a balance in our bank account. It's easy to believe when the car is running well, when our neighbors are nice and our cats use the litter box. (laughs) It's easy to believe. When the conditions are good. And that's where spiritual maturity is tested. We have been conditioned to believe in certain ways that oftentimes actually run cross grain to true spiritual maturity. We live in a society where we are conditioned to believe. That when things look good and smell good, they are good. We've been conditioned to be persuaded by that which is impressive. We've been persuaded to believe in that which appears to be strong. We love secure foundations. We love to walk on that solid ground and that solid rock. We've been conditioned to follow leaders who have some of the same sort 
of trappings that we like to see in our buildings. We, we, we like our leaders to look good and smell good and have all the appearances of strength. In fact, they've said that many times people follow leaders who are the fastest talkers and who talk the most. So I wonder what that says about preachers. <laughs> it means you need to pray for us. <laughs> we, we've been conditioned to also believe that it's really about us. How secure am I? How solid is the foundation that I'm standing on? And we've been conditioned to believe with a sort of consumer mentality. I want to go to a church that meets my needs. That's a church I can believe in. A, a church that will have the ability to support me in my issues. That, that's a church I can go to. And so there's this consumer mentality that has set in. We, we've also been taught to believe in the power of experience. So if it feels good and it has an aha aspect to it, then it must be true. So oftentimes we go to church looking for the aha moment. And we measure our worship based on how good the experience was. We had church today. That's part of the conditioning. Now, this kind of conditioning, it's not just something that's been invented by us. Uh, the early disciples had a similar condition to believe in things that they could touch and see. They also were drawn to the impressive. And in fact, in our scripture today, we see the disciples being impressed. They are impressed by the beauty of the temple. That temple represents their faith. It looks good. It looks strong. And if it's strong and it looks good, then their faith must be strong and their belief must be strong and God must be strong. A temple that represents a God like this, this is a God we could follow and serve because this is a strong and impressive God. And in fact, in our scripture today, you'll see them put that into words. In verse 1, the disciples say, Look, teacher, what huge stones these are. What wonderful buildings. Truly impressive. In fact, that temple in Jerusalem was probably more impressive than anything that we've constructed in our time. The temple took up one-sixth of Jerusalem. The courtyard alone was equivalent to six football fields. They were awestruck. They looked at that temple and they said, what a mighty God we serve. Yes, we believe. They were impressed and they had this big bubble. And to their euphoria, Jesus said, see these great buildings? Not a single stone will be left on another. Everything will be torn down. What did Jesus do to their big bubble? Pop. He brought them back. He said, if this is where you are placing your faith, then your faith is misplaced. If this is where you are holding your belief, then your belief is misplaced. 
When you put your faith in what you can see, then your faith is misplaced. Took them a while to figure this out. In fact, there's this long silence that happens between verses 1 and 2 and 3 and verse 4. They, they walk away from the temple and they go over to the Mount of Olives where they can look at the temple from a distance. They're, they're trying to make sense of what Jesus has said. They're, they're trying to figure it out. And so they're on the Mount of Olives looking over at the temple in the distance. You can almost hear them thinking out loud, is the temple really going to fall? Is this really going to happen? What did he really mean by that? Surely he didn't mean that no stone would be left on another. Finally, they get the courage to ask him privately. Tell us, when will all this happen? What will be the sign that all this is to take place? They're trying to get the inside scoop. That they figure if they can't have the building, they want the next best thing, which is information. Information that they can use perhaps to position themselves in some way. They want the inside scoop. They want Jesus to answer their question and to speak to their fears. But Jesus has something else in mind. In a sense, he's implying you're asking the wrong question. Rather than giving them a direct answer with the inside scoop, he responds with three key thoughts, none of which answer the question. The thoughts actually ask questions. The thoughts actually probe a little deeper. To their question, when will the temple fall? When will all this happen? Jesus in verse 5 says, be on your guard that no one deceives you. This conjures up images of the Antichrist, some figure who will come with a sort of apocalyptic persuasion. What Jesus is saying here is that find that inner strength inside so that you can read the signs for yourself. There isn't going to be some message from heaven. Live from the inside in a place of deeper belief and deeper trust that you may understand where you are in what is happening around you. Come to a place where you can ask the questions to find your way on the journey to live with a bolder and deeper strength. There were some who would come and proclaim to be the Messiah, some who would come and offer that sense that they would be a military leader who would change history. Jesus was inviting them to look deeper than that, to look beyond the trappings and the allure. Jesus was saying, do not only be deceived by those who will come and claim to be someone that only God can be, but also be aware that you will be potentially deceived into a fearful way of thinking. Do not be deceived by the ideas around you that will pull you away from that deeper place. Do not be deceived into a way of thinking that says, this is all there is. Do not be deceived into a way of thinking that that which appears to be good is good. Instead, come to a place of real faith that prays and questions and discerns and relates beyond the trappings of power and experience.
do not be deceived, Jesus says. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, do not be alarmed. What do you mean, don't be alarmed? The whole temple is crumbling down. You just described wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations and earthquakes and tumults. What do you mean, don't be alarmed? Shouldn't I stockpile stuff? Shouldn't I make sure I'm prepared? Shouldn't I hide? Shouldn't I get as far away from the temple as I can so none of those stones fall on me? And Jesus says, that's not where your security is. Your security is in here. So how are you on the inside? That's the real inside scoop. It's not some piece of information. It's a way of being. Look inside, Jesus says. For my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Then in verse 8, Jesus says, this is only the beginning of the labor pains. What's being birthed around you, Jesus says? Now, I kind of have to wonder what's up with a man telling men about birth and pregnancy. (laughs) But Jesus is letting them know that they are called to this place of patience. What he is saying is it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be fast. There's no such thing as a microwave birth. (laughs) One of the ways we've been conditioned is to live as pain-free as possible. If it hurts, find the prettiest pill you can find to address it, to numb it. What Jesus is saying is that our faith is tempered and matured and grown through the birthing process, through the daily moments of life, including the difficult and challenging moments, those moments that polish us through the grind. Jesus is saying a real faith is a faith that is birthed and tested. So no matter what's happening around you, Jesus says, Know that God is working through it. Listen and see what's being birthed and then live into it. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He doesn't give them the inside scoop except to point them to the inside. What's Jesus really teaching them here? As he describes the temple falling. As he describes war and rumors of wars. He describes change. What he's really teaching them is how to live with and through fear. And to not put their trust in that which will move away or change or fall. Jesus is saying, you will be afraid, but be at peace. I too fear, but I will be with you in your fear. And together, something new will be birthed. And it will be beyond the trappings and beyond the experience and beyond what looks good and smells good. It'll be real. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will walk with you through fear. And ultimately, that was his life story, was teaching people how to love through and with fear and to find life and relationship and meaning in those moments. Hear this description from Eric Law from his book, Intimacy Through Fear. Jesus took us on a journey to face our fear through his betrayal, suffering, death, and most importantly, 
resurrection. In his facing the ultimate fear, he exposed the injustice of the world in which he lived. He exposed the unjust application of rules and rituals that oppressed and divided people rather than bringing the community together. As he arrived at that most horrible destination of his journey, he showed us grace and forgiveness, even to those who hurt him. He showed us the greater story of life, which was not about conquering our fear with aggression, nor simply surviving our fear out of our fear of punishment. The greater story of life was not about being afraid of fear, but facing it head on. We are to approach fear as an opening and as an invitation to mine from it the gifts and treasures buried deep below the surface. When we dig down through fear's openings, we can mine from fear the God-given gifts of wisdom, courage, dignity, and self-esteem with which we can face any adversity that comes our way. When we see our fear as a gift, we will discover that underneath our fear lies knowledge of God. Buried below our fear is the seed of ministry. Beyond our fear is the hope of resurrection with new visions for us and our communities. One of my callings during our 13 years together has been to help us together be on this journey to move beyond what we've been conditioned to believe to a place of deep and tested belief, which happens, I think, more through relationship than through experience. Part of this true belief is learning what to do with our fears, and that's part of what this scripture today speaks to. The disciples, they were afraid at the thought that that temple might come down. They were afraid at the thought that this one who they had walked with might leave them at some point. And um, it's easy during times of pastoral transition and change to be a little bit afraid. And uh, I have to admit, I'm a little afraid myself. Uh, I've, I've met the folks in Washington, D.C., and they remind me a lot of you <laughs> in a good way, in a beautiful way. And yet, I've had a chance to get to know you for 13 years, and this is a whole new experience. And uh, it would be easy for me to, uh, to let that fear uh, determine my responses and, and actions. And it would be easy for us as a congregation to also give in to, give in to this fear. In the last few days, as I've had some conversations with you, I'm getting a similar question to that that the disciples asked. Um, people looking for the inside scoop. <laughs> Who's going to be our next pastor? How's that going to happen? What's the process? Well, how about you? How about you opening your heart to pastor those around you to love and to serve. Whoever the new senior pastor might be down the road, it's up to us to do the work together. That's what it means to be in each other's hearts and to be in relationship.
part of the good news about our faith is that it's not dependent on buildings or places, and this is holy ground and I love it, but this is, this is not where my faith is. It's, it's here. And it may seem like the distance between Houston and Washington, D.C. is a long ways. And according to physical terms, it's about 1,400 miles. But the thing about our faith is that we are as close as our prayers and our thoughts. The good news of our faith is that we are the body of Christ, and in the body of Christ there is no distance. And so the words of Jesus are words of hope for us today. When he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, he means it. It means that we will always be connected, that we will share the same calling. That when we say, Yes, I believe we are talking about something greater than location and business and distance. We are talking about real hearts and real lives. God is holding us and keeping us. And our faith, it is grounded in that which will stand. It is grounded in that which is sure and that which is true. Yes, I believe. We believe, and we are strong in this hope. Amen. Let's sing that chorus again one more time. This is my story. 